Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to um, Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. I am Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 22-year breast cancer survivor. And I'm Becky Olson. I'm a three-time 20-year breast cancer survivor, and we're the co-founders of Breast Friends. And I'm so excited about today's show. We have a very full program on a very important topic, mammograms. And we have two brilliant guests with us today. Our first guest is Dr. Stephen Rose. And Dr. Rose is the founder and president of Rose Imaging Specialists. And they happen to be the nation's um, largest group of breast imaging specialists. Dr. Rose is also the chief medical officer of Solus Mammography. And he's a graduate of the John Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore. And Dr. Rose is going to talk about the benefits and risk factors of the new 3D mammography technology. Welcome, Dr. Rose. We're so excited you could join us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You know, we heard, we heard that you won an award that kind of warmed our hearts. It was the Susan G. Komen BMW North America Hero Award. And that was exciting to us because Sharon and I got that same honor back in I think it was 2007. I think so. so. Mm-hmm. We have plaques on our wall, you know. <laughs> we don't have medical plaques, but we have those kind of fun award plaques. <laughs> so, Dr. Rose, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you happened to get to the largest group of breast imaging specialists? Just give us a little history. Sure. Um, actually, it's an interesting story. I started uh, in this field really more toward because of my expertise in ultrasound and particularly OP ultrasound. The hospital I was at originally built a women's uh, division and I headed it up because of that expertise. And one of the things I had to do at the time was mammography. And I really didn't have a specific interest at the time. But since I was doing this, I, I went off to a course by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Laszlo Tabar. And he did the original two-county trial in Sweden to prove that mammography saved lives. And I spent a week with Dr. Tabar, I came back with uh, a whole new zest for um, how to approach breast cancer screening. Mm. And uh, and that just continued from there. And the next thing I knew, I was... Uh, Dr. Tabar was visiting me at, my, at our breast center, and uh, then I would started lecturing at his courses, and uh, and then uh, decided that you know we really could do a better job of breast cancer screening in the United States if we specialized in in this area. So I started um, my own, broke off, started my own practice back in 2000. It was just little old me at that time. Wow, then, that's, that was oh, brave. <laughs> yes. And then uh, over time, uh, we developed uh, nine centers in Houston and wow. now 17 centers in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Oh, my gosh. And now with my position as the chief medical officer for Solus Mammography, uh, we have uh, centers uh, all over the country and uh, well over... Uh, 
45 radiologists that, that we worked together with um, focused on finding breast cancer at its earliest stages. Well, we're so glad so because Sharon and I, there. yeah, Sharon and I were both diagnosed young and with through mammography, and we're so thankful that you and people like you exist on this planet. So thank you for the work you do. So tell me about your Smithsonian Magazine feature. What was that about? That sounds kind of cool. Well, that was back. Um, that was back before I was doing the three D mammogram. That was actually uh, a long time ago, and that was to was it for the work we did. Uh, for our multidisciplinary breast cancer conference oh. and uh, the program we started in North Houston. And uh, it was a, a quite an honor uh, to be recognized for, yeah. for starting one of the first multidisciplinary breast cancer uh, conferences uh, in, in Houston. Excellent. When I think of the Smithsonian, I always think of, of uh, the Wizard of Oz and the Red Shoes, because I think they're on display somewhere there, too. They are. <laughs> and I actually went to the Smithsonian and. They actually have an Oregon um, area because TriMet and our our um, our transit system. So I thought that was kind of interesting too. <laughs> that it's is amazing cool. what you'll find at Smithsonian. <laughs> and then you were also named Physician of the Year from Memorial Hermann Southwest Hospital in 2007. You've been a very busy man. Yeah, I have. It's, it's <laughs> been it's been very rewarding to be part Good. of this uh, developing, and uh, we've been focused. From the beginning, a lot of this is through the uh, the teachings of Dr. Tabar, but focused from the very beginning on you know checking our performances, looking to make sure we're we're not we're disrupting as few lives as possible through the screening process and finding the tumors at the earliest stage. And, well, that uh, certainly that's makes sense. Focus. Yeah, that's great. So, so let's talk a little bit specifically about 3D mammogram and how it differs from the the, the digital mammography that we're we've had in the past. Yeah, so um, I've been involved with the 3D mammogram essentially from the beginning, and uh, we did some research before um, FDA approval. And what I like to say is uh, the uh, Digital mammography was uh, a nice evolution from uh, film, but 3D mammography is a, a revolution. And oh, wow. <laughs> That's a good way most, to put it. Most impactful imaging stud, study that I've seen in my career. Wow. And so the way it works is uh, the mammogram looks and, and for the most part feels, although I'm working on making that feel part, better, um, it, it feels, looks and feels like a regular 2D mammogram. The difference being is that the tube head makes a quick four-second sweep, and in so doing, we're, allowed, we're able to reconstruct, reconstruct the breast one millimeter at a time. Mm. So we get much better detail than what we could get before. And what that's been able to do for us is we've been able to find smaller tumors, um, and at the same time, we were recalling much fewer people for additional tests. Okay. And to the tune of, uh, actually, uh, we wrote the, the first large U.S. Uh, screening study uh, comparing 3D uh, mammography to 2D mammography. And what we saw in our study was uh, a 
37% reduction in our false positives. That's wow. a huge number. That is a lot. We saw a 54% increase in invasive cancer detection rate. Not the inside tooth out that people are saying is somewhat controversial, sure. but these are the invasive killing type cancers mm-hmm. that we were able to see to uh, yeah. over 50% uh, improvement with this new technology. That is enormous. You're, that that's, is. That's, that's where you're saving lives, right there. Correct. Yeah, that's well, and that, that's the kind I had. So yeah, it's it's scary to be you know when you read those words invasive and and aggressive on a on a chart. It's pretty pretty scary terms. But if we can catch it, you know, you're, you said you're catching fifty four percent more of those. Yeah, so and, and you can catch them then. Wow. Just what got me so excited about this in the first place was we were part of the trial prior to FDA approval. In fact, I presented. Uh, at the panel to get us FDA approval. And part of that was because I was the first one in the country to diagnose someone with breast cancers strictly on the 3D mammogram. They had to have a 2D mammogram to get into the trial. Okay. The 2D mammogram was read as normal, and I would have read it as normal as well. But (gasps) we actually found small, less than 10 millimeter cancers in each breast. Oh my gosh! Patients. I just got goosebumps. That's I know. That's impressive so, and scary <laughs> at the same time. Ask, but when, wow. we, when would she have been diagnosed without 3D? And the, you know, honestly, we don't know for sure. But it it easily could have been three or four years later because sure. of the ability of the tumor to uh, hide among the dense breast tissue. Wow. So wow. let me ask a question that's not on my list of questions here, but this one just kind of came to my head. When a woman goes in for a 3D mammogram, does it look and feel the same as a regular mammogram? Same process, breast between the plates and all of that, or is yeah. it a different process yeah. too? Yeah. It feels the it, same? It, it, okay. it is, it's still the same, although I'm currently working on a more comfortable paddle that will actually be also um, produce a better image. Um, God bless you so, for that. So Thank you. Some, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the one thing that scares future. women. Yeah. Yeah. It so scares I, I women. You know, they don't like the, the I'm fact that. I'm excited about that. Good. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't hurt as much as people talk about, but sometimes they'll, they'll put this fear of God and you say, that's the worst thing on the planet. Well, it isn't. And it's a lifesaver. But if you can make it more comfortable, you will be blessed by many women <laughs> around yeah, this country. Yeah. So. I, I agree. Thank you yeah. for doing that. So I have, a, I have a question too, doctor. Um, you mentioned the invasive kind of, of uh, cancer. How about the lobular? Is there, I mean, it, does it matter on yeah. that? I know those don't show up a lot of times on mammograms, right? Well, it, it is invasive lobular cancer can be much more difficult to uh, see. But we, uh, if you look at our statistics in the, also, the statistics from the collaborative study we published in JAMA last year, um, you will see that we are seeing a lot more invasive lobular cancers as well with this technology. Oh, that's the good news. that we see are, are these subtle areas of distortion that get, that get missed based on um, the uh, density of the breast. Mm-hmm. So um, it's definitely uh, an improvement. That doesn't mean that there's any test that's perfect. So no, of uh, course, there are some things that just don't show up on on either test. But 
but we're seeing a much higher uh, incidence of uh, finding smaller tumors as well as uh, not having to work with as many people uh, because of those shadows that overlap and look like mm-hmm. something. Yeah, right. really and I know we've all been called back a time or two for the shadows, and you know that's right. scary while you're figuring that out. And if this new technology can rule those out right away, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome, right there. Yeah. So and, good. And just and just the thirty-seven percent reduction in false positives—that's a huge one, right there. Because again, you know, why have to go through all that fear if you don't need to, right? So that's yeah. right. that's a big deal. So great. I'm getting goosebumps. This is really exciting news. I've never had a three D mam- mammogram. Of course, now I don't need one. <laughs> I had them removed, but you know yeah. that's a that's a real big blessing. So yes, yeah, yeah. So are there any additional risks to repeated testing? Um, you know, uh, I guess you can talk about the risk factor in, in mammography in general, but is is it any different with three D versus two D? No, the, there have been people with question about the radiation exposure. Right. And you have to understand we've gotten better every year on our techniques and reduced our radiation dose from mammograms. So the dose is very low to begin with. Um, and initially, we the you were getting a 2D image and a 3D image. So you were people were saying, "Oh, well, you're doubling the radiation." Well, theoretically, that's that was true, but that it's not even an issue anymore because we're able to take the 3D data set and reconstruct it into a 2D image so that we're not even having to do the 2D image anymore. So effectively, it's the same exposure as you would have had in a 2D mammogram. There's no difference. So So can you you uh, clear up a mystery for us? We have a lot of people that say, well, I don't believe in mammograms because of the, the risk of radiation. Can you put it in kind of layman's terms, what that risk is actually like? Is it like standing in front of your okay. microwave? Or, you know, give us, okay, a, give us a comparison. Let's say this way. If I move from Houston to Denver, I'm going to get more radiation from moving from Houston to Denver than you will get from a mammogram. Really? Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's how low a dose it is. Okay, so that's good to know because that kind of rules out that that fear factor completely. So, yeah, it's well, a good. Bad reason not to get a mammogram. <laughs> no kidding. No reason. So, I have a, a lot of clinics and hospitals made this switch. I mean, how how yeah, how prevalent is this now? It's interesting. We've done a lot of education over the last. We've been doing this uh, since 2011 because uh, that's when we were, we were FDA approved in February 2011, and we replaced all our systems uh, in Houston when that happened. Um, so that's why we were able to write that study uh, before anyone else. But okay. as of now, so we're in year, in year five of, of the 3D experience, and it is literally mushroomed. There are now uh, 3D mammogram units in every major metropolitan area and a lot of uh, smaller communities as well. Oh, that's really good news. Wow. Excellent. Yeah, well, Excellent. Yes. 
Well, you know what? It, I think unless anybody else has any questions, Doctor, uh, excuse me, Mark, you've been you've been silent, and we're going to introduce you pretty soon. But do you have any? In fact, you know what? What the heck? Let's go ahead and introduce you right now. We have a gentleman on the line with us, and I'd like to get his input on any of this if you have some questions or comments about it. But Mark Rader is the senior policy advisor for Alston and Bird, which is a uh, legal firm in Washington D.C. And he provides policy and political expertise on a variety of healthcare issues and was very instrumental. And we're going to talk about this in the next segment, but it, he was instrumental in helping to pass some legislation that actually bought us a two year moratorium on this crazy effort by this task force in Washington, D.C. that would move screening mammograms from age 40 to age 50 um, without having to pay a copay. And that's that's crazy. So we're going to talk about that later. But before we get off of the subject we're on now, we have a couple minutes to break. So, um, Mark, do you have any questions, comments, co- anything you want to share with us about the 3D mammography or sure, what you've seen sure. it from your perspective? Uh, and, Thanks. And thank you, Sharon and, and Becky and, and Dr. Rose, uh, you know, for all that you do and all your expertise on this. In fact, my wife just got her uh, her letter back from her um, from her doctor and the and the health system Centara uh, here in here in Virginia, uh, saying that she uh, she had just gotten her 3D uh, mammogram um, last week and already got uh, her her notice back saying that she uh, um, happy to inform you that your breast imaging state uh-huh. has no suspicious abnormality. So, Yay! Yeah, <laughs> we always like hearing that. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and of course, and, and, and no, you know, no, no callback, which of course, as you were just talking about, is is always a welcome. Um, is always welcome to hear for for women. So uh, that is one of the amazing things about 3D technology and uh, that we're seeing. And it's one of these things where uh, a lot of times, um, you know. The government, whether it be federal or state, a lot of times is slow in sort of recognizing um, uh, sort of these changes, these advances in in, in technology and medical technology. Yeah. And, and so I think that's you know some of what what we've been seeing um, across the country. And uh, but this is quickly becoming the standard of care, from what I hear. And uh, I'm sure Dr. Rose can probably uh, talk further about that. Um, but uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't catch up as quickly um, with with uh, with the with the federal government. So it's, that's one of the definitely one of the challenges of, of new technology. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very well, true. we're going to go ahead and take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to have a very full and lively conversation. I'm sure about this guideline that these people are trying to change. And so, if you were diagnosed, if anybody's listening, and you were diagnosed in your 40s, especially through a screening mammogram. We would love to have you call in. So kind of be thinking about what you might want to ask or share your story with us. And the number you'll be calling back at is 866-472-5792. So we'll be back in a couple minutes. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. 
Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about 3D mammogram with Dr. Stephen Rose, and we also have um, Mark Rader on the line with us as well. And during the break, we were um, having a little discussion. And so, Mark, why don't you ask that question to Dr. Rose again so we can get the listeners to hear the answer? I think it was a great question. Sure. Thank you. Um, I, I was, I'd asked uh, Dr. Rose how long it generally takes um, a physician who's new to the 3D technology to become proficient in reading, uh, reading the 3D scans because it's, it's, so, it's so different. Yeah, and it's a great question, and I think the answer is different for each radiologist. One of the things that is key, I think, is to get as much experience prior to uh, actually reading and there's a required eight-hour course, but that's not really enough. I give that course, and, and you know, it, you can only get so much from a one eight-hour session. So in our practice, we had people reviewing, uh, taking part in reader studies where we, they would sit down and read 250 exams over a, a couple of days and uh, and, and get comfortable with the, the study. But I think it's uh, interesting to see and in the collaborative study that we published in JAMA in 2014, there was a wide range of experience uh, in that in those 13 centers. And what I did note, what notice was that the centers that had been doing it for a year or longer uh, had a little stronger performance as far as fewer false positives uh, with the technology. So, that makes sense. You know, it, 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 it is. The good news about it is we're using a lot of the same skill sets that we've used to interpret 2D mammograms, to interpret 3D. It's just a lot more information, and you have to learn to trust your, you know, the things that are truly negative, and mm-hmm. uh, and also to to pick up those subtle areas of distortion, and uh, so that that is a process. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, thank you. Mark, did you have any other questions for Dr. Rose before we um, let him let him go back to work? <laughs> oh, I, I, could, I could probably spend a couple hours asking him questions. <laughs> I, I can appreciate I that. <laughs> you know what, wait, before, Dr. Rose, before you go, I, do, I really would love you to kind of share just very briefly, I know you have to go, but how do you feel about this task force recommendation that would move screening mammograms from 40 to 50? Just give it to us yeah. in a nutshell. Well, okay, so I 
couldn't feel more strongly that the task force has done a lot of harm. Um, let me explain. And, and there's so many different ways to to uh, look at this that would support my position. Do you know that 40% of the years of lives saved are from the people that we find breast cancer in at age 40? So there are 40%, wow. 40% of the years. Obviously, you're finding people younger. You're saving lives. And there's no, there's no argument that mammography saves lives in women in their 40s. Understand that the task force did not look at 3D data at all. They just, right. you know, they, they said we don't have enough data. At the time, they made their information, their, their statement. They didn't factor that in at all. Right. So um, that's number one. Number two, they uh, had no breast um, physicians on that panel. No one who had was taking care of patients with breast cancer. So right. that was that's a problem. The other mm-hmm. thing is that they were predominantly looking at um, statistics, and they looked at the six randomized control trials that were done uh, in the seventies and eighties. Oh wow! Five, five of the six studies showed a clear reduction in, in mortality, um, and the one study that didn't was the Canadian study, and the Canadian study was universally panned at the time that it was done because the quality was terrible, the, uh, it wasn't randomized, there were many uh, statistics that showed that they didn't a- adequately randomize the, the, the patients, and of course, uh, when you do a, stud- a poor study and you do poor quality, you're not going to see any results. Um, and, and so it was that, that's a lot of reasons why. And then the other hand, the task force said, well, we're causing a lot of harm by our false positives. And right. the thing is, again, not having people on this task force that really take care of patients, right. it's not like when we say the patient has to come back for additional testing that they end up in surgery or they end up getting chemotherapy. 90% of the people we call back for additional testing get an additional mammogram in, image, and many times now it's just ultrasound because the 3D image is so good. If we do need to call them back, it's for an ultrasound, and they're done. Um, oh only yeah. 2% of the patients actually will end up getting a biopsy, and 90% of those biopsies are done as an outpatient with a needle biopsy. So they've really, I think, done a, a tremendous disservice what 3D mammography has done for women in their 40s is give us a chance to find those cancers. The number of cancers in women in their 40s is significant. The incidence is not a whole lot less than women in their 50s. Nothing magic yeah. happens to that. In fact, yeah. our practice in Austin that we're, we have, the average age is 42 for women wow. that we diagnose wow. with breast cancer. Yeah. Average age, so, that's interesting. <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. So they, I, I, I think that uh, they couldn't have done worse, um, and uh, that's, I think, why we were able to get that moratorium, uh, and uh, hopefully they'll uh, look at all the data. And there's a lot of data right now from 3D, um, yeah. and hope, uh, and that's just going to increase because we have over uh, 500,000 patients in our practice that we see every year for uh, screening mammogram, and one of the things we're doing is is, is measuring our outcomes uh, 
every year. So we'll, we'll have, continue to have good data that will show over time that basically 3D mammography is just a better mammogram. That's what I tell patients. It's, That's yeah. excellent. It, it Thank you. It's better for everyone. Thank well, Dr. Rose, we can tell Thank you're you very so passionate about what you do, and, and we are so thrilled that you were on our show to be able to explain it so we can understand it. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of good reasons to be making sure that this task force doesn't go forward with their recommendations. So we'll we'll continue to work on that. So at this point, we're going to let you go, but we're going to continue this conversation with um, Mark Rader um, working on that same, same topic. So thanks again, Dr. Rose, for being with us. Yes, thank you so much. It really was meaningful. Thank you. All right, and we actually have a caller on the line, um, Mark. So do you mind if we bring our caller on? I don't know if she has a of question course. or a comment, but you can be right here and listen too. So, hey, Holly, how you doing? Hey, I'm good, thank you. Hi. Good, Hi. good. Did, did you have a question or a comment? Or um, I'm actually a woman, and I was 43 and diagnosed with Ooh, um, invasive rectal carcinoma mm-hmm. um, through a routine mammogram. Yeah. Wow. But... There's a point I'd like to make that a lot of times when you're younger and um, you have a routine mammogram, you get called back because they found something, um, and they weren't able to find it on an ultrasound. Um, so, you know, the, the radiologist said, oh, let's just keep an eye on that. Let's get a repeat <laughs> mammogram in six months. Mm-hmm. Um, because of my age, you know, it was most likely nothing. Right. Um, but it was something, and I, I kind of wasn't comfortable with that, so I, you know, said, you know, I think I'd like an MRI, and she agreed, and um, and then that's they kind of knew from that, and then well, came the the biopsy and then the test results. So yeah, yeah. well, I'm sorry that, that you were diagnosed, lot. but I'm so glad you were an advocate for yourself, and so that's a huge so message important. right there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, Extremely important for women to advocate for themselves. You know, you know I, I always love it if they're not comfortable. I always yeah. love it when the doctor tells you that you know we feel a lump, we see something, but we don't think it's anything. Let's watch it. Well, my philosophy on that is, well, let's watch it in a petri dish. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lump in there; it doesn't belong there. It's coming out. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, exactly. Well, my so, you know, the nurse told me that you know I, I saved my life by advocating yeah. for myself. Absolutely. You You absolutely did, darling. Well, that's so great. I'm so glad you called. And I don't know if we have your contact information, but if you take a minute and um, uh, email Becky, uh, Becky Mm -hmm. at breastfriends.org, we would Mm -hmm. love to have your contact information and make sure we can stay in touch um, with you. So thank you, Holly, for calling. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And, you know, that brought up an interesting memory, I guess, part of this conversation, Mark, that we've been, you know, that we heard when we were, you know, assisting with this project back in Washington, D.C., is one of the reasons that the task force came up with this idea that they should do this is because of those false positives causing undue stress on us, and then that makes our lives miserable. Well, I'm sorry, we're women. We handle stress our whole lives, <laughs> and I would much rather have a po- false positive for you know, and maybe be stressed for a day, and then find out that it really was just a cyst or something, a shadow or whatever, than to not have it done and then find out it was cancer, and you know, or that I had cancer and nobody checked me because they didn't want to give me all this stress. So you know that I find that almost offensive. 
But well, um, and again with Holly um, talking about the fact that she asked for an MRI mm-hmm. because there wasn't anything really conclusive that they could you know see on an ultrasound. Yeah. Well, that unfortunately that story is more often than we'd like to believe. Um, yeah. But again, we we want to we want our doctors or our nurses to say, oh, let's just watch it. It's probably nothing. You yeah. know, I mean that's what we want to hear. And Not me. <laughs> But at the same time, you know, because we want to believe it's nothing, but right. at the same time, if you have a concern, if they have a concern, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would definitely, um, speaking from, you know, having gone through it myself at a young age, uh, yeah, it's it's no picnic to have to go through it. But if I had gone through it a year, two years, three years later, I may not be here to talk about it. Exactly. In fact, I, in my case, I'm sure I wouldn't be because my doctor said it was very aggressive and it had actually grown in the seven days that he had felt it to the time he actually removed it. So, so again, sometimes that younger patient can really um, have very, very aggressive um, uh, growth. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of those cancers are estrogen fed. And when you're young, you got more estrogen. It's like a you little got it, <laughs> little buffet in there, you know. So absolutely. Mark, let's let's come back to Mark here because Mark has got such a wealth of information. Mark, you know, Sharon and I are very aware of this subject, but I know a lot of the people listening are confused. What is this all about? Can you give us the um, you know quick version of what this this thing what would change if this recommendation really becomes what they do, the guideline. Sure. And first, first I just want to sort of speak to what you were just uh, talking about in terms of the, the callbacks and the, you know, the call for, the, you know, for over-treatment and things like that and uh, or, or what, it's, what, it's, what, what folks on, on some sides are saying. And there was a great article, um, uh, op-ed in the New York Times last August uh, by Lisa Rosenbaum. And, you know, I just, I always go back to a couple of things that, that she said there, which was one that, Overtreatment is easily conflated with unnecessary care, but they're quite different. Unnecessary care is getting antibiotics for a cold. It's not only care that won't help you, but care right. we know in advance won't help you. But overtreatment is the Monday morning quarterbacking of cancer care. You can only know you can only know it retrospectively. Right. And uh, you know, <laughs> and she goes further on to say, I think many of the folks that are yelling overtreatment think. They know more than we actually do. They seem to take statistics and assume that those are the facts in all cases. We know it doesn't work that way. Statistics do not predict outcomes on individuals, only in populations. Right. So it's that sort of thinking that I think that, that has led to a lot of, uh, to a lot of this uh, with the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force and, and folks were calling for raising the age from, from 40, from starting at 40 to starting at 50. Mm. And, uh, and so, so the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, which, you know, started, you know, um, a number of years ago, decades ago, um, as sort of an advisory board, so, uh, it's not a government agency per se, um, but was, a, you know, an advisory panel uh, to the government uh, to advise them on preventive services. And, and you know, there have been... Uh, in the past, some some issues uh, where they were trying to make some changes to what the recommendations were going to be for breast cancer, um, because in, in 2002, the 2002 recommendations were were to start at 40 for um, women. They give it you know an A, B, C uh, grade uh, or investigational for insufficient evidence. Um, and then, uh, but again, it was it was starting at 40 and to do it the interval for every every year. 
Uh, and then in 2009, uh, they made a recommendation to change that uh, to start at 50 um, and, uh, and some other recommendations in that as well. And there was a, a, a pretty big pushback um, from, from a lot of uh, patient and provider groups. Uh, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure, yeah, it was, and it was all sort of happening during the discussion of the Affordable Care Act, too, which was interesting. So there's actually a provision put in the Affordable Care Act, which actually um, rolled back um, that recommendation uh, mm-hmm. so, and held it at, to the 2002 recommendation. So oh, that thank goodness. Kept that, yeah, for, exactly, for, for another six years or seven years or so for keeping it at that, um, that recommendation for, for starting at, at 40. Um, so fast forward to April of 2015, and the USPSTF, say that three times fast. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, I can't even say it once. <laughs> so many times in the last couple of years. Um, but uh, they came out with, uh, they said they were coming out with new recommendations, and they put out a draft, and that draft included, um, you know, giving um, uh, a C recommendation to uh, to, uh, to starting at 44 uh, for mammography, for screening mammography. And also then changing the intervals um, to uh, when starting at 15 and intervals once every two years as opposed to once every year. Wow. Uh, and it also provided a, um, an I or an investigational uh, grade to, uh, to 3D mammography. Wow. So there was some pretty, pretty immediate pushback from a lot of folks in, in, um, in the patient community as well as, uh, as, well as in Congress. Uh, there was a letter, there was basically a 30, I think a 30-day comment period that folks were allowed to, uh, um, to, uh, to provide comment to uh, the USPSTF. But Congress, uh, a number of people in Congress on a bipartisan, bicameral basis, so both the House and the Senate, Democrats and Republicans, uh, there's a, a large list who sent a letter to Secretary uh, Burwell, the Secretary of HHS, um, Questioning uh, these, you know, these new recommendations or draft recommendations, which they were at that time, and um, it was led by um, uh, Congresswoman Kathy McMorris Rogers from Washington State, who's Republican, and also um, Senator Heidi Heitkamp uh, from uh, from North, a Democrat from North Dakota, and Senator David Vitter, a uh, Republican from Louisiana, and a host of other people on both. Uh, and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's a, a, can- a breast cancer survivor, I believe. Uh, Center Hyde campus as well, uh, and so it was. It was pretty extraordinary, pretty pretty quick. Um, but you know, Congress always. You know, it's it's tough to keep momentum going, Congress, because there's always a new crisis, always something new <laughs> happening. Um, yeah, and so, <laughs> sure, as everybody's seen, right? Uh, and so, um, you know, during the during the summer, um, you know, this was still a, of great concern, and and the more organizations that kept on wanting to get involved in this, and of course, um, Sharon and Becky, your organization was one of them, uh, and uh, slowly started to come together, and finally, um, sort of centered around um, a legislative effort, which which was going to be led again on both sides of Congress, uh, both the House and the Senate, Democrats and Republicans together. Um, to 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 try to put a moratorium on these uh, uh, on these uh, draft recommendations, um, and so with that was born the PALS Act, um, and uh, and that, and that stands was, for what? What what does PALS stand for? Uh, the PALS Act is the um, protecting um, 
access to life-saving screenings act. That's right. I couldn't remember. That's right. Chemo yeah. brain, right. you know. We always try yeah. to think of those, those cute sort of <laughs> acronyms, right, that people remember. So, so we have the PALS Act, which, which, which did, in fact, when, they, when, uh, when it was written, would, would provide that, that two-year moratorium um, on those. And so it would revert to the, to the existing um, 2002 recommendations. But it was, you know, it's a long, it's a long haul to do so, to, you know, to, to, to pass any, any bill Right. Uh, through Congress and get it signed by the president is a, is a humongous effort. And so it couldn't have been done without um, all, of these, all these groups like Breast Friends, Bright Pink, uh, Prevent Cancer Foundation, uh, Susan G. Komen, Tiger Lily Foundation, mm-hmm. you know, large and small, some focused on, on certain, you know, uh, demographics. Um, you know, we have everything from the Black, you know, National Black Nurses Association, um, you know, to the American College of, you know, Obstetrics and Gynecology, all That's teaming right. together to sort of support this effort. And, um, and there's nothing like actually having people come to Washington to go meet with the representatives to talk about this because there's, there's only so much that people like me can do to talk about this, this issue. Uh, and even folks like, uh, like, like Dr. Rose, who I know there's a lot of, a lot of physicians that came in to talk about this, which was extremely important, but to hear it from a, um, 20 something, 30 something, 40 something year old women about yes. when they were diagnosed and what it means to them, what it means to their, their family life, their, um, ability to have children, their ability to, to be alive for the children that they have, to be, you know, you know so many women today are, you know, they're not just mothers, um, and they're often caregivers for, for their parents. Oh, and absolutely. They're the breadwinners of their, they're the breadwinners mm-hmm. of their family. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So when Dr. Rose was talking about before, I believe it's like about 16% of the cancers, uh, the cancer deaths uh, are from women uh, of the ages of uh, 16 to, I mean, from uh, 42 uh, to 50, um, but it's 40 per, uh, 40% plus of the life years lost. Uh, yeah. You know, and those are your prime years uh, yeah, as, as a woman. Um, Absolutely. Where you're doing everything. And, yeah. and to, to be cut down or, or just even to have to, to, to deal, you know, work through the cancer and the treatment and everything else that goes with that and the stress, um, sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's getting members of Congress and their staff to understand, and a lot of them get it already, uh, but to get them to understand how important this is and, and really how pervasive uh, this cancer is at such a young age and why yeah. screening was so important. Um, so one of the things that really changed this um, uh, also was the fact that in the Affordable Care Act, it changed the nature of the U- U.S. Preventive Services Task Force. Not something that they asked for, the task force asked for, but it all of a sudden linked um, the grade that they would give these preventive screenings to coverage and um, cost sharing, uh, and so if and you that's really the big deal. Rate, yeah, that's the big deal is. with this thing. So, so yeah, so yeah. just to clarify something real quick, the task force is not saying that women cannot have mammograms at age forty. You can, and obviously, but the grading is what determines how much of that you will pay for. Correct. Right. Correct. So right. why don't you go ahead and explain that grading and exactly what that means if they get an A or a B or a C? What happens then? So the Affordable Care Act said that anything, any, any preventive uh, service that is given an A or B rating by the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, USPSTF, mm-hmm. um, is automatically covered, will have to be covered by insurers, uh, as well as um, there will be no cost sharing. Uh, so 100% no copay. 
Correct. 100% correct. no copay. With okay. the idea that that is the, that the incentive should be, okay, this is, a, this is a highly valued screening service. You should go and get it. We think that this is beneficial to people. It's beneficial to the cost of health care, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then anything with a C or lower uh, or investigational would not be covered uh, and would not be without cost sharing. Uh, so then, you know, sort of women, and, you know, this, of course, is not just for breast cancer, it's for colon cancer, it's for, um, you know, prostate cancer, all these sorts of um, preventive screenings. Uh, right. But this you know, just happened to be sort of the first one that came up recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's, that's why it all of a sudden became so important, and where all of a sudden the, you know, what comes out of the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force became that much more important to women. Um, because sure. of the fact that it, it was going to impact whether whether insurers were going to cover this and, wh- and whether it was cost sharing um, uh, 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 associated with it or not. Yeah. So uh, again, just... it's something. It's not something that the USPSTF had asked for, but they were. You know, all of a sudden that 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 uh, linkage is, is there now. Yeah, and so definitely. That and that and that's a dangerous link because um 22 million women are uh could could potentially be affected by that kind of a decision because again, if you're a single mom and you're mm-hmm. just trying to make ends meet and all of a sudden now your mammogram is not covered by insurance, guess what? You're n- probably not going to get a mammogram. Yeah. Right, they think they don't have, they don't feel a lump. There's no family history, so they don't really right. need one. And right. that's the whole idea of screening is find find out before you get that lump. And most cancers are not family, you know, hereditary. So we want women to get those mammograms, and it's just so so critical. So, Mark, we only have a couple more minutes. So let me just ask you real quick: What can we know? That, okay, so the recommendations on hold for a moment. Um, until January, I believe, of 2018. But That's something correct. has to happen between now and then, because if it doesn't happen, then come January 18, it's going to just automatically roll into that recommendation. So what can our listeners do specifically to help with whatever needs to happen next to keep mammograms funded at age 40 and up? What, can you I give us a couple quick? things they can do? One is, okay. is to do what, what both of you did, which is to... Um, to get engaged, uh, get engaged both just individually, but also with with a, a breast cancer organization of your, of your choosing, and mm-hmm. to get involved because it's always better to be, um, you know, to group together, to associate together. Uh, you're just much more powerful. You're a louder voice, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and to and to get involved in that sense. But to to write your member of Congress, both both your your member in the U.S. House and your and, and your, uh, your your two senators. To write to them, to let them know how, one, you're very happy that they, that they enacted the PALS Act, this, this language that which, was gonna, which is going to delay the implementation of the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force draft recommendation, which actually went, uh, they ended up um, um, finalizing those recommendations this last mm-hmm. January. Um, but again, luckily that, uh, that this bill was passed. That that does that doesn't those won't take um, won't take effect until January 2018. Yeah, yeah time out. <laughs> thank them for, yeah. for doing that, and then say, but you know we've got we've got two years, and you know for you know we want to make sure that this that this holds that we you know that we continue to have okay. um, access to uh, to screening mammography. It's so important, uh, especially as new technologies like uh, 3D mammography are, are, are coming out, which make it a much better test, a much more mm-hmm. effective test, as Dr. Rose was, was, was attesting to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but also um, to really sort of change the way, there's a couple of things, uh, a couple of bills out there that are trying to change the way that the U.S. Preventive Task Force is um, uh, is is made up, sort of. So, um, put some again, breast cancer doctors on there. To be um, sort of the organization that they become now, in terms of having uh, having uh, this linkage to um, to coverage and, and cost sharing. And so, there's uh, Congresswoman um, Marsha Blackburn, a Republican from Tennessee, is linked together with uh, Congressman Bobby Rush, from a uh, Democrat from from Chicago, uh, to uh, to have a bill. Uh, which would which would try to uh, create more transparency within the USPSTF. You know, some of the the things that Dr. Rose was talking about in terms of some of the tests of some of the studies that they were utilizing to make their their basis of their of their recommendation. You know, to make those um, you know to have them published to have the USPSTF publish their research plans. Uh, you know, to make evidence oh, reports and, and recommendations available for public comment. Um, you know. These sorts of things, you know, allow allow more stakeholder input. Um, I think, you know, also to have things like, you know, ensuring that we have experts on yeah. the uh, on the task force that are dealing with the specific yes. issue, uh, you know, uh, medical area that they're that you're dealing with. To not have someone who actually goes and treats patients that has to actually look them in the eye and say, "You have cancer." Um, yeah, exactly. That is, I mean, you need people like that uh, on any sort of panel like that. And so, um, I know that uh, I believe Dr. Um, Dr. Cassidy in the Senate, who's from Louisiana, I think he's also looking at uh, introducing a bill which would, uh, which might, I think, even go further uh, than that. And so, it's it's trying to get involved, seeing what's going on in this space, and becoming involved in a in a in a, in a local or national um, breast cancer awareness group, patient group, and even uh, you know working with your with your providers, with your doctors mm-hmm. that you that you work with. And becoming advice. aware of what's going on because you have basically a year and a half now to try and ensure that this that, that those finalized recommendations mm-hmm. don't become final, don't come back yep. into effect, uh, exactly. and that's yeah. Congress to, to to change this, to change the way that the that the task force is is structured, and to also to to ensure that uh, um, that we continue the way that most uh, actually the way that most. Um, Provider groups and and screening organizations, but most of their guidelines are forty or forty five. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of them aren't like the USPSTF, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so the exactly. American Cancer Society, the, you know, yeah, and, nobody's uh, saying that. Just them. Yeah. They're the only ones saying fifty. And you know, Mark, just to let our listeners know, Breast Friends is following this very closely. We've been in Washington D.C. twice now. Um, been on the Hill. We've been doing our lobbying and all of that to just really try to keep this on the forefront. So we are posting any updates that we get are on our Facebook page. It's just Breast Friends of Oregon um, to get on to get into our Facebook page. We're posting things there. So if you want to follow this issue, you want to you know kind of get in with us. We are more than more than eager to make sure that this thing passes. So, Mark, we're going to have to cut you loose because we've got to finish up the rest of our show, which is just a couple minutes. We actually omitted a break for you. <laughs> I just want yeah. you to know that because well, this was such great information. So, um, but we're so excited you were able to join us today. Thank you so much for your expertise and your willingness to spend this time with us on the phone. So, or, And me, your on, passion on the, around it, too, oh, because absolutely. you can tell just the way you talk about it, it's obviously a... Um, uh, a subject that's very near and dear to your heart. So I appreciate that as well. 
I really enjoy doing it, and right. uh, I've enjoyed uh, you know getting to know you both, and and thank really you. appreciate your your passion for this and and what thank Breast you. Friends does. So uh, thank you very much for having me thank on, you. and uh, I look forward to hopefully uh, working with you in the future. Absolutely, awesome. Mark. Thank, thank you, you so Mark. much. Thank you. Take care. Yeah. Wow, what an amazingly interesting show. And I just, you know, I, I got goosebumps several times through throughout this. There's just, there is just, this is such an important issue. And now with 3D mammograms, I mean, Sharon, honestly, don't you wish that they had those when you and I were di- diagnosed? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, the thing is about this whole task force that, that really bugged me, I think, when we were um, back in, in um Washington, D.C., was the fact that they were actually using um, the 2009 data that they had, and that was even before the 3D mammograms. I know. So, that was crazy. It's, that just you know, blew my mind that they could use such old information, and, and it, as quickly as the breast cancer world is moving, that they could use something that was six years old that yeah. was... That, that just kind of blew my, my mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say something here. Okay. You know, it's, it's like they, you know, they really wanted this to go through in 2009 and make this change. And they kind of got their hands slapped and they, you know, they were told no. And now they have a little more authority where they don't have to go through certain processes. And that's that transparency thing that Mark was referring to. So it's almost like, well, we'll show them we couldn't get it done in 09. So we're going to just get it done now one way or the other, regardless of what the data shows, because they're just they're not looking at it. So it's, you know, and I'm sure I probably offended members of the task force, but um, with that comment, (laughs) but but it's, I think it's, I think there's some, some truth to that. And I, I just makes me sad to think that, you know, there's so much good evidence that shows mammograms are still, even though it's not the perfect tool because there is no perfect tool. And that's why we always stress, you know, getting, you know, the mammogram is one thing, a clinical breast exam is another thing, and your own breast exam, you know, self-breast exam. It's yeah, kind of so those you, three so steps. You know, so you know what normal is for you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, that, and that's I know how people, I found it the second time, you know, was people, in the shower. You know? Yeah, people complain, so, well, I'm kind of lumpy. Well, we're all lumpy, but that's not the point. Um, yeah. When you find something that is not normal, that's when it's, mm-hmm. you know, your time to actually figure that yeah. out. Yeah. So, yeah. And I you want, can have your doctor show you on, on a breast forum. You, they, they have these breast forms with those, you know, pretend lumps in them, and they can show you what to feel for because we, some women do have lumpy breasts and it's hard to know exactly. You know, we are getting right down to the end of our show here. And one thing we want to remind our listeners of is, you know, we have a host page on Voice America. So if you want to go back and listen to any of our past episodes, we've got great content from, oh, Sharon, what are some of the contents? Humor oh, sexy and, after cancer, yeah. integrative medicine, how it Lymphedema. works with cancer. Oh, yeah. yeah, so, so many, many different topics. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you go to voiceamerica.com and click on the health and wellness channel and then search for Breast Friends, you'll find our host page. You'll see every um, episode we've ever done. And with that, we need to close up. So I just, we want to remind you, we will be back next um, week. So join us again. And until then, remember, there is always hope and we're here to help you find it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.